We continue this morning in the book of Habakkuk, uh, one of those minor prophets that, as Dennis has pointed out the last couple of weeks, can be hard to find sometimes and even seem to move around in our Bibles. So if you are having trouble locating Habakkuk, let me help you out. Uh, If you're using the Bible uh, under the chair in front of you, you will find that on page 785. So the book of Habakkuk, when life doesn't make sense, when life doesn't make sense, that's what we're considering as we walk through uh, this book together. And our text this morning is Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. And so far it's been a pretty simple outline. In fact, if you look at the page in front of you, uh, you will see it very clearly outlined. Uh, beginning with Habakkuk's first complaint, and then God's first response, then Habakkuk's second complaint, and then today, uh, God's second response, or at least the beginning of it. And Habakkuk is wrestling with what he knows to be true about God and his character, and what he sees as God's apparent tolerance of injustice and violence against God's people. He's confused, frustrated, indignant, and he's honest. He's honest with God. As we began, the book Habakkuk begins crying out, Where are you, God? Do you care? Do you even see what is happening? Where the heck are you? And God responds, yes, I care. And I'm here. In fact, I'm actually at work. You just don't see it. But let me tell you what I'm, going, what I'm doing, even though you won't believe it. That nightmare that you're so afraid of, well, I am raising up a worse nightmare to take care of that one. To which Habakkuk cries out, this, this doesn't make any sense. You're good. Are you kidding me? And God says, no. And the question is actually, are you trusting me? Are you trusting me? It's the centrality of faith. And that leads into our passage, Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Let's take a moment to pray, and then we'll hear God's word. We look to you again uh, this morning, our good and our gracious God. You who have spoken through the prophet Habakkuk and you who by the power of your spirit speak to us today through that same prophet. And so we ask now that you would do a work in us transforming our hearts and our minds that we might see more clearly through the eyes of our hearts, the eyes of faith and trusting you all the more. And it's in Jesus we pray. Amen. And so I invite you to hear the word of God from Habakkuk chapter 2. And remember, Habakkuk has just finished his second complaint. And so chapter 2, verse 1, Habakkuk begins, I will take my stand at my watchpost and station myself on the tower and look out to see what God will say to me and what I will answer. Concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me 
Write the vision. Make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision, the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, wine, wealth, is is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as shale. Like death, he has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. This is God's word for our good, for his glory. So let's turn to it confidently now. Again, the centrality of faith. And the point today is this, and I'll just tell you right up front. We deal with the present by looking to the future. We deal with the present by looking to the future. Well, so far, uh, we have seen that Habakkuk's world has just been turned upside down. It seems to be crumbling all around him. Again, he's confused, he's frustrated, he's indignant. Here is a man in despair. He's been crying out and complaining to the Lord. And now, chapter 2, verse 1, he's watching and waiting for God's reply. The Lord answers in these following verses, giving Habakkuk a vision of what's to come. Namely, that the Babylonians, uh, that the wickedness in the world will not prevail. That God will bring justice, verse 3, at his appointed time. A time that is not yet, but is already on its way. God pronounces judgment on the wicked. That's the second part of chapter 2. Those who we see here in our verses, verses 4 and 5, those who are proud, full of themselves, full of self-importance, and yet empty in soul. Those who are more hungry for wealth than the grave is for dead bodies. As condemned in the previous chapter, these are guilty men whose own might is their God. But it's the end of verse 4 that's the heart of this passage. The end of verse 4. James Boyce, uh, many of you are familiar with that name. Uh, James Boyce, a longtime uh, pastor at 10th Pres in Philadelphia uh, before he uh, passed away years ago. Uh, But James Boyce said this. The wonderful thing about this chapter is not so much the large part of it that speaks of judgment on the Babylonians, verses 6 through 20, but rather the one verse, verse 4, that speaks of the life of the believer in a time of crisis. The righteous shall live by his faith. Boyce goes on to say, this is a great text. It could even be called the great text of the Bible. To understand it is to understand the Christian gospel and the Christian life. In fact, Habakkuk 2.4 is so important that it is quoted three times 
Directly quoted three times in the New Testament. It is foundational for Paul's theology. In fact, it's quoted twice by Paul himself. Uh, Romans 1.17, Galatians 3.11. And once by the writer of Hebrews, uh, Hebrews 10.38. So in light of the New Testament, what does it mean? What does this verse mean? Let's consider that for a few moments. The righteous. The righteous shall live by his faith. The righteous. To be righteous is to be in right standing with God. To have right relationship with him. Uh, To be righteous is to not have one's sins counted against him or her. But to have Christ's righteousness credited to you. As Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, God made him, Jesus... God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And there's only one way to obtain it. Only one way to obtain righteousness, to become righteous. And that's through faith in Jesus Christ and in him alone. Trusting that he lived the perfect life that we should, but can't because of sin. And that he died the horrific death that we should, but that we don't have to if we trust in him. It says the righteous shall live by his faith. By faith. Well, the word faith in Greek is pistis. And in each of the New Testament, uh, in, in each New Testament verse where Habakkuk 2.4 is quoted, this is the word that's used. Uh, the books uh, of Romans, uh, Galatians, Hebrews all use the verb form, pistuo, meaning believe into, uh, to trust wholeheartedly, not simply to think well of, or even a, a slight confidence in, but a whole hearted trust. Uh, It's the same word that Jesus uses in John 14 uh, when he says, trust in God, trust also in me. Some translations, believe in God, believe also in me. And this word goes beyond uh, intellectual assent or uh, the way it's often talked about when we talk about faith in our our culture is you kind of hear it more in terms of The power of positive thinking. You just need more faith. If you had more faith, X, Y, Z, and it's kind of a pep talk. But that's not it at all. That's to miss the point. Pistuo involves action. Okay, now I know that we have finally hit spring, uh, that today we're going to be in the 80s, and it looks that way for quite a while. But bear with me for a second. Dial back two months when there was snow on the ground for three straight weeks. Okay, some of you went walking, maybe there's a pond in your neighborhood, and you saw the ice over top of that pond. Pistuo, like I said, involves action. It's not just saying that the frozen pond is strong enough to walk on, but rather pistuo means that you're out there walking on the ice. In fact, right now, you're exercising pistuo, this this. Uh, this, in a form of this biblical faith, at least the biblical meaning of it. Because when you came in this morning, you saw a blue chair. 
Now, you might not remember actually seeing it or that registering in your mind, but you saw it, and something in you inside said, I believe that that chair will hold all of me. It will hold me when I sit down. But again, it's combined with action. You could be standing there still saying, I believe this chair, but that's not pistuo. Pistuo is the fact that you are sitting in the chair. And so far, so good. So it's that action joined with belief, entrusting everything wholeheartedly to the Lord. That's faith from a biblical perspective. The righteous shall live, shall live by his faith, shall live. Notice that our verse says shall live by faith, not merely start by faith. Now, yes, there is a a starting point, but it's also a continuous action. You know, it's like breathing. There is a starting point, the moment that a baby is born. Robin Wooten just gave birth to a little baby girl. And one of the first things that the, the doctor did was make sure that that little baby took a breath. But one breath is not enough. There needs to be the process, the continuous action of breathing, because if you stop breathing, you're dead. You shall live by faith, just as you shall live by breathing. It's a way of life, the way of life for the Christian. As Paul says elsewhere in 2 Corinthians, we walk by faith, not by sight. And then as the writer of Hebrews so beautifully states, Hebrews 11.1, that faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Or in the words of one commentator, faith is living all of one's life based on confident trust in God's promises for the future, even when one cannot yet see the fullness of the coming joy and glory. In other words, faith has a a forward-looking posture to it. Now, faith is rooted in the past, the cross of Christ. It is active in the present, following Jesus today, but always looking to the future, anticipating his return in the renewal of all things, all things made right. We're always living now while also looking ahead. I mean, that's how you drive a car, isn't it? You know what's going on around you. You're driving in that moment, but you're always looking ahead. Or at least you should be, right? Doesn't always happen. But that's what faith is, always looking ahead. And the hallmark of living by faith is dependency. Dependency on Jesus 24-7. Okay, so in this way, it's not like your car. When you take your car to the gas station and you fill it up with gas and you then drive away until you're running on empty and then you need some more, so you go back. It's not like that at all. It's more like, and I've referred to this before, but it's much more like the bumper car that is always connected to a power source. And when it's not, it stops. It's dead. 
depending on Jesus 24-7. We walk by faith, not by sight. By sight. I mean, that's the very thing that Habakkuk is struggling with. He looks around and what his eyes see are challenging everything that he believes about God and his character. What his eyes see unfolding around him. By faith is seeing with the eyes of our hearts. Always and everything depending on the Savior. We see in Habakkuk and elsewhere in the Bible that God uses our most difficult circumstances to sharpen our faith and deepen our dependency on him. In fact, I think it was in the first sermon in the series, Dennis referred to a conversation with a friend and experiencing a hardship. And that friend said, you'll either let this drive you to Jesus or away from him. God uses the hard things to drive us to him. But, oh, I struggle with this. I mean, I don't like this part of it. I, I want to stay in, in, in the first part of chapter 1 with the complaints. Hello, God, are you, do you see what is happening? Do you understand? Are you here? Do you even care? So often, I walk with my head down. But here in our text, God calls Habakkuk and us to walk with our heads up. To look ahead and see with the eyes of faith, trusting him every step of the way. I remember an elective class uh, that I took in seminary. Uh, my seminary in, in the summer, they, they, they offered a, a lot of non-core type classes. And this particular summer, it seemed there were a lot uh, dealing with, uh, with culture and the arts and Christianity. Uh, and so I decided I'd take this one-week summer course uh, with a visiting Bible scholar who also happened to be a professional actor, a uh, former Broadway actor named Bruce Kuhn. And the class was called Storytelling the Scriptures. And the whole point is that we would learn how to study and understand uh, a particular text about Jesus. But in doing so, we would then learn how to tell that to other people in such a way as, as maybe was first heard by those first eyewitnesses. Because, you know, not everybody was walking around with their Bible in hand. And so people heard and they saw what Jesus had done, and they would run and they would tell people about it. And so that, that's what we were entering into. And we had to, to interpret and learn uh, ten minutes uh, of a gospel uh, story. Ten minutes learning to tell the story of Jesus in a way that would engage people but was also faithful to the biblical text. In fact, I, I remember at one point going through the, the process because it really was bringing together the, uh, the skills of, uh, of an actor and an exegete. Uh, the, an actor and someone who interprets scripture. And I remember kind of walking, stumbling through my text. And uh, uh, Bruce looked at me and he said, you've not made a decision on how that text reads, have you? And I was like, no, how could you tell? He's like, because you haven't interpreted it. You haven't committed. What does scripture say? Go back. And so we are constantly wrestling with that. How do we speak God's word in a way that's engaging and faithful to the text? 
Well, I remember the syllabus, and the syllabus was crystal clear. Do not start studying, learning, or even reading your passage until class begins on Monday afternoon. Also in the syllabus was our final class project, and that would be performing publicly on a local community stage that Friday evening. So just four days later. Now, for some of you, that's no big deal. My grade was resting on this. So Sunday night came, and I started to freak out. I can't do this. This, this is stupid. I'm going to drop the class. I've still got time. Because, I mean, I'm not an actor. This is for people that, that are good at that stuff. So I, my brother is an actor. So I called my brother in New York, and I said, Matt, here's the situation. I'm crazy, aren't I? I need to just, I need to just drop it, don't I? And he said, calm down, Camp, you can do this. I know Bruce, and I know his methods. He knows where he is taking you. He knows how to get you there, and he will get you there. But you've got to trust him every step of the way, even when it's hard, uncomfortable, uncertain, even when it doesn't make sense. Follow him. Trust him. When life doesn't make sense, the righteous shall live by his faith. We deal with the present by looking to the future. Now, this doesn't mean that there aren't any doubts or struggles. I mean, come on, remember where we are. We're in the book of Habakkuk. This guy is struggling he is doubting our verse is right in the midst of all of his struggles and doubts and his confusion about God and what God is doing. But even Habakkuk's crying out to the Lord is an expression of faith. Because he's looking to his God. He's calling out to his Savior. And Habakkuk frees us to cry out. Even in a weary faith. Lord, I believe, but this is so hard. Please help. Please help my unbelief. And God answers. He says, trust me. I know where I'm taking you. I know how to get you there, and I will get you there. Walk with me. Keep your head up. Keep your eyes on me, looking ahead to all the beauty and joy that is to come. That's where we're going. You see, we taste, we see now in part, but one day we will feast in fullness, in all the beauty and the joy of God's kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. Now, the problems are very real. But in a sense, the promises are more real. In other words, the problems will one day perish, but the promises of God will prevail forever. Or as Paul puts it in Romans 8, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing. Did you hear that? Our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. And Paul was a man who knew a lot of suffering and sorrow 
and struggle. I also think of Kara Tippetts, uh, wife of fellow PCA pastor uh, Jason Tippetts. Uh, they're about Heathers and my age, uh, young kids like us too. In fact, I remember talking to Jason just a, a few years ago about uh, possibly church planting uh, here in this presbytery. And then some of you may have met Kara uh, when she was here uh, a couple of years ago visiting Williamsburg and, and was with us uh, one Sunday morning for worship. Well, a week before Easter, Kara died uh, after a long battle with cancer. And I, I so appreciate and am challenged by her and Jason's eternal perspective in the midst of their present pain. Their deep abiding joy in the midst of very real struggle and sorrow. Or in Kara's words, God's grace in the midst of life's hard. Just uh, one example of what I'm talking about. So in the, the, the months uh, before she died, Kara and Jason and their kids uh, began talking a lot about heaven and realized that they had never talked a whole lot about heaven in, in the past. And uh, one of the things that struck Kara was, was how much the Puritans talked about heaven. It seemed to be in everything that they wrote and spoke. It was all over the place. And then uh, Jason heard a sermon that said that the reason that there's so much materialism and despair in the world right now is that we've taken our eyes off heaven. And we're looking for this place, this life, to be the comfort that it's not and that it can't be. Well, at one point in those conversations together as a family, at one point, Kara was talking with her young son. And she told him how in Second Peter it says, With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. And she said, Honey, when I die, it's going to feel real long but I'm going to see you tomorrow. And then every once in a while, after that, her son would go into her room in the morning with mom lying in bed in pain and say, good morning, mommy. It's good to see you today. I love you. And I'll see you again tomorrow, too. The problems are very real, but the promises are more real. We deal with the present by looking to the future. When life doesn't make sense, the righteous shall live by his faith. And like Habakkuk, we cry out, even in weary faith, Lord, I believe Please help my unbelief. Because friends, in the end, it is not about the quality of our faith or the quantity of it, but about the object of our faith. It's about Jesus, 
He who was faithful to the end. He who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. For the righteous shall live by his faith. The faithfulness of Jesus. So let us fix our eyes on him. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Amen? Amen.